You know that song with the line in there, oh, how he loves us so. I wanna explore that today. How does he love us? To what extent does he love us? And I think if you can relate with me here, the hardest times to be loving are thing whenever things are difficult. Whenever we're going through something tough, it's the time where the first thing that goes for me is being patient and loving towards others and selfless towards others because it's overwhelming for me what I'm going through. Well, let's explore together today what Jesus did whenever he was going through something difficult. Hi everybody, I'm Joseph Walter and this is Loving Theology. So we're in a series going through um, Jesus' final hours and what he faced during those hours and, and the persecution and the, the weight of what he faced. Last time we talked about what led up to his arrest. And we saw that one of his closest friends was Judas, that Judas truly was his friend. And then Judas betrayed him. And he felt the weight of that betrayal. But what happened next? What happened after he was arrested? That mob came and addressed him and they drug him back to the religious leaders. And those religious leaders accused him. They accused him of anything that they could think of. They accused him of heresy. They accused him of blasphemy. And I can imagine that he was still feeling the weight of Judas's betrayal. And he was still wrestling with that, only to have such hostility coming right at him and against him. And so many of these accusations were also false. How did he handle himself through all that? What specifically did happen during his uh, trial, whenever he was accused? And how did he carry himself through that? Now, among the 12 disciples, there were none closer than Peter, James, and John. And Jesus knew that all of the 12 disciples would abandon him. And whenever he was telling them that, Peter said, no, Lord, I would never abandon you. Let me read what he said out of Matthew 26, starting in verse 33. Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. But Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. But what did happen? After Jesus was arrested, all of the disciples scattered, Peter included. But Peter did try. He, he followed um, discreetly, you know, so that they wouldn't see. They fo he followed Jesus back to where um, he was being tried and, and accused. But once he got to the house, the people started to recognize him. They said, hey, you know, don't you know? Um, haven't I seen you with Jesus before? Don't you know him? Aren't you one of his followers? I, I can tell by your dialect. And um, at first he just denies it. He just says, no, I, I, don't, I don't even know him. But by the time that it gets around to the third time, he denies it pretty staunchly. He, he was quite uh, definitive. He began, the Bible says that he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I don't know the man. And just then at that third denial, the rooster crows and Jesus looks over at Peter and he can tell by the look in Peter's eyes that Peter has denied him. This was truly one of the most difficult moments in Jesus's life. This was the time whenever he needed his friends to be there for him. He had been serving his disciples throughout his ministry and he had been there for them. But in this moment where he would have loved for them to, be, to stand with him, to, to be with him, all of his closest friends abandoned him and he was left alone. You see, I think sometimes because we emphasize the physical suffering that Jesus endured, and, and it was intense, it was overwhelming, the suffering that he endured. Sometimes though, because of that emphasis, we can kind of gloss over the emotional sorrow that Jesus felt amidst all of these things. See, he was human. He felt the weight of all of this. He had those emotions, just like any of us would have felt in those moments. For example, like we talked about last time, Judas had betrayed Jesus, and he felt the weight of that. But the reality is that Judas wasn't the only one who betrayed him. I mean, who, who were these people that he betrayed him to? 
Who were the ones who were arresting him, who were accusing him here? Who were the ones who ultimately forced Pilate to kill him? I mean, literally forced Pilate to crucify him. These were the Jewish people. These were God's chosen people. And more than that, these were the religious leaders for the Jewish people. These were God's chosen of his chosen people. You see, just like Jesus chose 12 disciples, and those were his friends, those were his chosen people. That was a picture, though, for the fact that God had chosen 12 tribes as his chosen people, as his closest friends. And Jesus makes it clear how he felt towards them and that he loved the Jewish people, and that he wanted to be reconciled to them. He says this in Matthew 23, 37, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. He wanted to be reconciled to them. You see, the, the mob that came to arrest Jesus, the mob that was accusing Jesus, the mob that chose Barabbas over Jesus, the mob that forced Pilate to crucify him, the mob that was crying out, crucify, was a mob made up of God's chosen people, of God's friends. And to make matters worse, this mob was led by their religious leaders, the ones who would call themselves the closest of God's friends. And just like the betrayal of Judas, Jesus felt the weight of this betrayal. And that's what you can almost hear him expressing there in that verse that I just read, that he felt the weight of the fact that they betrayed him and that they were rejecting him as their savior. And, and you know, this is such a picture of the fact that God pursues us even sometimes whenever we don't want to be pursued, that God loves us even sometimes whenever we're busy rejecting him. And we have a post where we talk about the fact that that is a picture of God's love for us and how he's done that, not just for the Jewish people over and over, but he's done it for us as well, that he pursues us and how his faithfulness is love. I'll put a link for that below in case that's something you wanna hear more about. But just like Judas wasn't the only one to betray Jesus, Peter wasn't the only one to abandon him either. You see, um, this mob of people that was trying to force Pilate to crucify Jesus was made up of religious leaders and um, you know, the scribes, the Pharisees, the elders, the chief priests. These were the ones who were trying to crucify Jesus. But the reality is that there were a lot of other Jews and Gentiles included who loved Jesus who were excited about the fact that he was coming to Jerusalem. You see, this Jesus had a lot more followers than just the 12 disciples. And these followers were the ones who made up the crowd who welcomed Jesus to Jerusalem. In Luke 19, it, it reads like this. As he rode along, that's Jesus, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. You see, this multitude of his disciples probably weren't among the ones who were crying out crucify. So where were they? You know, whenever he was being questioned and accused by the high priests, where were they? Whenever he was being questioned and on trial by Herod and by Pilate, where were they? Why weren't they there testifying about the good that he had done? testifying about who he was and what a good man he was. Where were they? They had all disappeared. They had all gone into hiding. They had all abandoned him. What's more is that Jesus knew that this would happen. 
And that didn't keep him from feeling the weight of it. If anything, it just made him feel it all the more. Hear him recount it to the disciples in John 16, 32. Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come. When you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. You see, Jesus was alone. He was abandoned. And the hour whenever he needed his friends, they abandoned him. See, what I, what I want us to do is for a minute, almost put ourselves in Jesus's shoes and feel the weight of sorrow that he felt. That he was betrayed by his people, by the country that he loved, the people that he loved. They betrayed him. Even his closest friend betrayed him. And in the midst of that betrayal, his other followers and his closest friends, they abandoned him. They left him to face that betrayal alone. But how did he carry himself in that? In the midst of feeling that weight of that sorrow, what was he focused on? What was he thinking about? What was he doing? How did he love us in the midst of this? Let me give you just one example. See, after he was arrested, he was brought before Pilate. And whenever he was before Pilate, he knew that Pilate was going to condemn him to his death on the cross. He knew that. But he was witnessing to Pilate. He was telling him about the truth. He was witnessing to him and he was caring for him. So much so that I think that Pilate then began to ask a question that probably a lot of us ask along the way to our journey to salvation. See, John 18, 38 records it, that whenever Jesus was telling him about the truth, Pilate responded with, what is truth? A, a question that, like I said, many of us have asked, you know, is truth real? What is it? How can I know it? See, we don't have the full transcript of his conversation with Pilate. I, I kind of wish that we did. But you can see the effects that the conversation that he had with Pilate had on him. You can see the way that it began to shape how he thought about things. See, whenever Pilate was told that Jesus had claimed to be the son of God, he, I think there was a part of him that believed it might be true. Listen to his response. Whenever he heard that, whenever Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. That's John 19, 8. And you see, after the whole experience, Pilate, I think, really did change his perspective. I don't know if he was saved or not. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is that he was at least partially convinced that Jesus was who he said he was. Whenever he brought Jesus, his, Jesus out after questioning him, this, this is what it says. It says that he said to the Jews, Behold your king. That he believed that Jesus was their king. And whenever Pilate had no choice but to crucify him, you know, he, the, the crowd still forced him. He had to write out what Jesus' crime was. And so this is what he wrote. He said, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. John 19, 19. And whenever the priests saw it, they, they complained. And they tried to force him to change it. It, it recounts this in verse 22. So the chief priests of, of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather write, This man said, I am the king of the Jews. And Pilate's answer, Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. You see, throughout this whole experience, his heart was still turned towards us. His heart was still turned towards Pilate. And maybe you find yourself on a similar journey, asking some of the questions that Pilate asks, and, and wondering and struggling with those big questions. I've got a post that I think might be helpful for you um, where we talk about whether or not it's reasonable to have faith and what evidence do we have that faith is reasonable, that, that God exists. I'll link that below in case that's something that you might wanna look through and might be helpful to you. But you see, these were his darkest hours. These were the moments where he was overcome with agony 
and with sorrow and pain. And yet these were the moments where his heart was still turned towards us, to love us, to serve us, to be there for us. And hopefully in that partially, we can see the extent to which he loved us. But the pinnacle of his agony, the pinnacle of what he endured was the cross. So next time we'll explore that. How did he carry himself on the cross? What did he have to go through? And how did he demonstrate his love for us in the midst of the agony that he was feeling? Be sure to subscribe and hit the bell because you won't want to miss it as we close out this last part of the story of Jesus's final hours. And I'll put a link for this series below in case you're watching this later and you want to watch the whole series. Thanks again for joining us today.